welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, October 20th, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In their book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, authors Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements tell the following true story. Their friend Landon, a local photographer, moved into a new home with the specific purpose of being a missionary to his new neighborhood. In fact, his house is the one that's pictured here on the cover of the book. Anyway, part of his goal was to build relationships with other neighbors and to start a Crime Watch Facebook group uh, amongst those on his block. So this was so successful, along with his wife's efforts to host gatherings at their home, that they became known as the go-to people when anyone had a problem. In fact, the authors joked that Landon was the unofficial pastor of his neighborhood because of that. Well, one night when Landon was walking through his neighborhood after dark, he noticed a teenage boy breaking into a vacant house. And when he saw how young the boy was, instead of calling the police, he approached the boy to talk to him about what he was doing. And after confronting him, Landon walked him home instead of turning it in. And when he got to his house, he talked to the boy's mother and learned, well, she was a single mom. And some of the other kids, the older ones in the neighborhood, had become a negative influence on her son. So Landon, led by the Holy Spirit, said, you know, I would love to hang out with your son and try to be a positive influence in his life. And he can come over and hang out at our house with my wife and I any time that he wants. And through tears, the mother graciously accepted his offer. So over time, Landon built a relationship with the boy. His name was TJ. Eventually, he met other neighborhood kids who were TJ's friends. Landon started playing kickball with them on Sunday afternoons. And then he got his small group from his church involved. And every week, they all came over to play kickball on Sunday. And they loved these kids who, in many cases, were fatherless. After kickball each week... He and his wife, Jordan, invited the kids over to their house for ice cream or cake or whatever kind of snacks they had on hand and to spend quality time with them, just talking to them and finding out information about their lives. After about a year, Landon and Jordan borrowed a van to pick up all the kids to come and take them to his church's youth group. And then not long after that, they attended a youth camp where Landon led four of the boys, including TJ, to put their faith in Jesus. At that same camp, uh, one day, TJ walked up to Landon and said, do you happen to remember the first time we met? And Landon's like, oh, of course, how could I forget? You were breaking into a house, right? And then TJ pointed to a number of uh, 10 other kids from his neighborhood who were also there at that camp. And he said, I, you know, I am so glad that we met that night because none of this would have been possible if we hadn't met Welcome to the third week in a four-week series entitled Contagious Grace, and we're talking about biblical hospitality, and it's so much more than simply creating a welcoming space for people who come to our church every week. When God first called Abraham and Sarah to follow him into a new, into a new relationship, God promised that they would become uh, the parents of a great nation, and God said that through them, all the families of the world would be blessed. And as followers of Jesus, uh, we have that same opportunity, that, that God wants to use our lives to be a blessing so that we might bless those around us. 
Phil Vischer is the creator of the incredibly successful VeggieTales uh, series. And he talks about the power of Christians opening up their lives and their homes to be a blessing to those around them. He says, I'm growing increasingly convinced that if every one of these kids burning with a passion to write a hit Christian song or to make that hit Christian movie or to start that hit Christian ministry to change the world would instead focus their passion on walking with God on a daily basis, the world would change. Because the world learns about God not by watching Christian movies, but by watching Christians. Isn't that true? That's what today's message is going to be all about. The art of loving others. How we can open up our lives and our homes to our neighbors. But first, let's jump into the Bible passage for the day to set the stage. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. You can also grab the Red Pew Bible in the uh, seat back in front of you. Um, or you can open up the Palmdale UMC app and scroll down on the homepage till you find Bible. And it will always take you to the exact chapter that we're going to be reading from. And today it's, we're starting at verse 1. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully maltreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. But we were gentle among you, like, like a nurse, tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and his story is pretty amazing. And he, he started out his journey in life as part of a very uh, strict uh, order of Jewish leaders called the Pharisees. In fact, he was actively persecuting Christians during the early years of the church, believing that they were intentionally trying to tear down the Jewish faith. Everything that he had come to know and believe was important. But Jesus met him on his travels one day, and Paul did a complete 180, becoming a follower of Jesus and one of the most prolific writers in all of the New Testament. But wherever Paul went, as you can imagine, he garnered tons of opposition, mostly from conservative Jews like he used to be himself. He'd been beaten, imprisoned, and punished for his work as a follower of Jesus numerous times. And despite this great opposition, as he writes about in this letter to the church in Thessalonica, his heart nevertheless is soft and gentle towards this community. He says, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. Isn't that a wonderful image? I mean, nurses are the ones that, that are paid to care for people, and how much more would they care for their own children? This intimate bond between parent and child is what Paul speaks about to them. And not only did he bring his beloved children the gospel, the message of God's love in Christ Jesus, but he was also transparent and open to them about his entire life. Our own selves, he says, so deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become so very dear to us. That's biblical hospitality, friends. That's contagious grace, when we share our very selves with others. Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon, in their book, The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door, writes this. 
What if the solution to our society's biggest issues has been right under our noses for the past 2,000 years? When Jesus was asked to reduce everything in the Bible to one command, he said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what if he meant that we should love our actual neighbors? You know, the people who live right next door. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to represent him to the world, but do we? In their book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, Willis and Clements invite us to, that, or, or say that we, we, if we divide our life roughly into thirds, well, we'll spend more or less about a third of our life sleeping and about a third of our lives working somewhere else or going to school. And then that precious remaining one-third, we get to do whatever we choose with that. So if we dismiss that being part of God's mission can happen in our homes where we live, and and instead, if we see our homes more as a a refuge just to get away and shut off from everybody, then we've just knocked out two-thirds of our lives, if you include the sleeping third, uh, from being involved in missional activity. The overwhelming message of Jesus' life and teaching is that small begets big, right? The simplest Things in life, ordinary days, our ordinary homes, they can have a much larger impact than we can possibly imagine if we will be intentional about it. If we're ever going to give ourselves to helping advance the kingdom of God and, be, and bring honest and lasting change into the world, then we need to reclaim all of our ordinary pieces of our lives, those ordinary times as part of the gospel mission. We don't have to take a mission trip to Guatemala, but it's a wonderful way to get started. We can do things right here in our own back or front yards. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services this year labeled loneliness as an epidemic in the United States. It's more dangerous than obesity. It can be as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes every day. 43% of our seniors admit to being lonely on a regular basis. Biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of the cultural trends that tend to separate and isolate it. It rejects the notion that life is best spent fulfilling our own self-centered desires, cordoned off from the rest of the world in our private fortresses we call our homes. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than unplug, to open rather than close, to initiate rather than just sit idly by. Because people are longing for depth of relationship, and so practicing contagious grace gives us a unique way to live out the gospel. Willis and Clements invite us to envision a bird's eye view of our neighborhoods and to begin to see it the way God sees it. Odds are, they write, you would see lots of people who may not admit it, but who desperately long for connection and community. Yet they spend most of their rare free time cordoned off in their respective homes, doors shut and locked tight as they scroll through social media apps or watch other people live on screens. Isn't that a powerful image? All around us, people are hungering for the covenant of God to include them. They don't know that it already does. You see, when we invite people into our homes and into our lives, especially those who feel like they're far from God, we essentially say to them that God loves you and God hasn't given up on you. 
And when we're warm and loving and gracious, we're living out the gospel just like Paul spoke about to the church in Thessalonica. And that's what Jesus spoke about when he told his followers, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Author and pastor John Ortberg says, the practice of neighboring creates incredible opportunities for us as believers to connect our stories to the stories of our neighbors and then to God's big story. Phil Maynard in his book, Shift 2.0, says quite simply, biblical hospitality is about opening our hearts to others and building relationships. That's it, plain and simple, opening our hearts to others and building relationships. So, I'd like you to do an activity with me, if you please. In your bulletin is an insert that looks kind of like this sheet. Take it out. Pick up a writing implement. You can use the little pencil in the pew in front of you if you need to. And by the way, if you didn't get one of these on the way in, you can grab one on your way out. We have some extra sheets um, with the ushers. And if you're listening to the podcast at home, just take out a blank sheet of paper and make a... uh, Uh, tic-tac-toe box, and that'll give you the nine uh, squares that you need for this activity. Okay, so the middle box in in these nines, uh, that is your house, and the other eight uh, are the houses situated nearest to you, right? So these are, be thinking about the other eight houses or apartments that God has placed closest to wherever it is that you live. Doesn't matter if you live on a cul-de-sac or a rural lot in the mountains, an apartment, whatever. Just think about your eight closest neighbors, okay? So first, what you need to do is write your address, your home address in the middle uh, of the chart, uh, in the middle of that page on the house. Oh, Jody has some extras here. If you didn't get one, you need to hold up your hand and she'll pass them out to you. Okay, so put your address, your home address in that middle box with the house on it. Now, in the other boxes, you see there's an A, B, C uh, written under each one. So there's going to be three things to put in the other boxes. And that is as follows. A, write the names of the people who live in those eight closest houses or apartments. First names are great. Uh, Bonus points if you can put their last name in. And you may not know everyone in the house, but just put whatever names you do of the people. B, write down some relevant one piece of relevant information about each person, right? Some data or facts that you couldn't find out just by standing in your front yard. You can't put they have a blue car or they own a dog that barks all the time. Something that you would have to know about talking with them. And then C, right? One other piece of in-depth information that you would get from connecting with them more deeply, like uh, career, what they do, their career plans, dreams of starting a family, their motivations, their, their faith connections, whatever it may be. All right, I'm going to give you a few minutes to do the best you can. Go. If you're listening on the podcast, I invite you to stop right now and to do this activity and then restart once you've finished. Okay, so here's the thing. Pathak and Runyon say they do this activity all the time in all different places, all different locations, and the results are almost always the same. Let's see how it works with us. Roughly 10% of the people can fill out the names of all eight of their closest neighbors. Who was able to do all eight of your closest neighbors here? Raise your hand. Okay, probably a little bit less than 10%. Uh, only 3% can fill out line B, one piece of relevant information for each house. Was anybody able to do that? Okay, cup three, four, okay, five, oh, a little bit more, all right. 
And then less than 1% were able to fill out line C for every home. One piece of in-depth information. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for that. But Jesus knows. Well done. Well done. All right? Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's a great Bible verse, right? We, we use this all the time to talk about what's most important. The question is, um, are we taking time to get to know our neighbors? I mean, of course, there's a couple obstacles, right, to the fine art of loving our neighbors. The first would have to be time, right? But if Jesus says that loving our neighbors is one of the most important things we should be doing with our life, well, maybe we should actually be putting the time to do it. John Ortberg has coined the phrase hurry sickness. He says that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible, that love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. So if we're going to be a good neighbor, we have to build into our schedules time to do so, which may mean changing our pace of life a bit to allow ourselves to be available to those around us. The second barrier to being a good neighbor is fear, right? Fear has a way of distorting our perceptives, our perspectives, uh, both in life and faith, because we become afraid of what might happen, how people might take advantage of us, how we might be in danger if we venture into unknown waters. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament book of Numbers that illustrates the infectious power of fear. God has led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt with the help of Moses, and they've crossed the Red Sea, they've received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and they were on the cusp of heading into the promised land that God was going to give them, right? So in Numbers 13, this is a great story how, how God instructs Moses to send 12 spies into the land, one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the leaders, one of the most spiritually mature people from the group of inhabitants from each of the 12 tribes. And their job, should they choose to accept it, was to survey the land, scout out the people who live there, look at the vegetation and the trees, and even bring back some Costco samples so they can see what they have to eat when they get there. They were gone for 40 days. When they returned, they brought a giant cluster of grapes that had to be carried on a pole, as well as pomegranates and figs. The land was plentiful. However, a majority of the spies, 10 out of the 12, said that the people are strong, the towns are large and fortified, and they didn't think they could survive there. Joshua and Caleb issue a minority report. They say, with God behind us, there is nothing we can't accomplish. But the other spies replied with this. The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw it in of our great size. And to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. In some ways, their report was accurate, right? The towns were large and fortified, and, and maybe the people were slightly on the bigger side than average. But they didn't go and do interviews with the locals, right? They couldn't know what the locals thought about the Hebrew spies because, what, they were spies. And when you're a spy, you don't go interview people that you're spying on. 
So fear had gripped hold of them and wouldn't let go. And because of their fear and their unwillingness to trust God, God had the Hebrew people wander around in the wilderness for a generation until all these faithless people just died off and he brought in the next generation. Forty years later, they're back and ready to enter the promised land again. Now Joshua is the one leading them and Caleb is his right-hand man. They send a few spies into the land of Jericho, uh, into the town of Jericho on a scouting mission. And while they're there, they made a a woman named Rahab. She's a prostitute by trade. She takes them in and hides them from the local authorities. And before they leave, Rahab tells them exactly what her people say about the Hebrews. Joshua 2, 9 to 11. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the dread of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. You see what happened there? Forty years ago, the spies had the entire perception wrong. They feared their neighbors already living in the promised land and they perceived them as giants. But in truth, the neighbors feared the Israelites because they knew that God was with them. Fear has a way of distorting our perspectives. Don't let fear get in the way of you being a neighbor to the people who live right next to you. Contagious grace. Right? That's what we want to be about doing. Rosaria uh, Butterfield, in her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, used the phrase, and I immediately loved, radically ordinary hospitality. She writes this. Radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. It brings glory to God, it serves others, it lives out the gospel in word and deed. If you're prohibited from using your living space in this way, then it counts if you support in some way some other household in your church that is doing this. You see, the purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the local church and being earthly and spiritually good to everyone we know. I love that phrase, to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors into the part of the family of God. She says it's taking the hand of a stranger and putting in the hand of the Savior. It's being open to allowing God to use our hearts and our homes of channels of God's grace, of God's contagious grace. And that's what happened in the early church, right after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. The the followers of Jesus moved out of worshiping in the temple and synagogues, and they began gathering in each other's homes. They shared meals together. They prayed together. They grew in their love for one another because they were experiencing life together. So, I promised I would give you some practical tips to doing this, right? How can we live out this contagious grace with our neighbors? Here's just a few uh, ideas to kind of get you started thinking along these ways. Willis and Clements have uh, one, of the, uh, one of the most helpful pieces of advice. They call it the always rule. And it's super simple. Are you ready? If you see a neighbor you don't know, no matter what you're doing, driving home, working in your yard, picking up your mail, stop and go and introduce yourself to them. Always. The always rule. 
Whenever you see someone that you don't know, stop and go introduce them. Instead of driving into our garages and closing our automatic doors, stop and say hi. And for those of you who use your smartphones regularly, there's a great app called Nextdoor that connects to people in your own neighborhood. You download the app, you tell them where you live, and then you start getting messages from people that live all around you. It may not all be on your street, but in your general area. Jody and I use this. Pastor Ken from Quartz Hill uh, encouraged us to do that. He also lives kind of close to us. And we find out all kinds of interesting information that's happening sort of in that area of Quartz Hill. Next, find the practical rhythms of life. These are the things you already enjoy doing. Right? You don't have to come up with new things. These are things you do all the time, but start thinking about inviting others to be a part of it. Right? Things like Taco Tuesdays, game nights, watching popular TV shows or sporting events together. If you're the parents of young children, organize play dates with other families in the neighborhood. Have neighborhood cookouts. And here's a tip. Move your grill from the backyard to the front yard. You will be surprised at how much that attracts others from your neighborhood. Host book clubs. Have once a year events like gatherings around the Super Bowl, the Oscars, the Grammys, or every four years the World Cup or the Olympics. Um, have supper clubs, right, where you rotate going to a different neighbor's house. We'll go over to your house tonight and then their house next week, Monday, and then that, you know, whatever. Uh, have movie nights. Celebrate kids' birthdays together. Have holiday parties. Practice reverse hospitality. Instead of inviting people to your house, make something, buy something, and just take it over to a neighbor's house and say, I just wanted to bless you. We live three houses down. Hi, my name is Jim. Reverse hospitality. You can even host other Christians, people from your own church. You, if you're a little bit worried about inviting neighbors, invite others from church over. That'll get you started. Then you can invite your neighbors. People you already like and have relationships with. In fact, you can go one step further and then invite other Christians to be a part of your outreach to your neighbors, right? Watch the, the last episode of Game of Thrones, invite a few church members over, invite a few neighbors, and they get to meet, uh, your church members get to meet your neighbors, and your neighbors get to meet them. You know what? Your neighbors might like them better than they like you. And they'll be able to see how Christians relate to one another, they may be surprised that, wow, you're actually normal people. Uh, you can also do this uh, having a barbecue in your front yard and make enough food for neighbors to come by, whatever it may be. Go simple. Remember, it's supposed to be radically ordinary hospitality, right? If you're making dinner, simple dinner. What do you normally eat? You don't have to look up a bunch of fancy recipes and spend a million dollars on these uh, exotic uh, ingredients. No, whatever you normally eat, that's okay. Holiday parties, they don't have to be elaborate. Simple works. The purpose is inviting people over to your house to build relationships. It's not to impress them with your culinary skills. Along the same lines, don't worry about the image. Don't worry about what people might think when you share your life with others. In real life, houses are messy. They're not clean all the time. It's okay. Inviting others over into a less than perfect home can actually be a beautiful act of vulnerability, allowing others to see the real you. Because hospitality isn't about entertaining. It's about engaging. It's about engaging. Our children and our grandchildren aren't always perfect either. That's okay. Neighbors will understand, especially if they have kids and grandkids themselves. In fact, include your children 
in your acts of hospitality. Let them be a part of whatever it is that you're doing to connect to your neighbors. For one, your neighbors will get to know your kids and grandkids as they get to know you. And two, it'll help your kids growing up thinking that, hey, this is normal. Like, this is what people do. We invite others over. We share meals. We, we get together for game nights. And they'll be more inclined as they grow up to include acts of hospitality in their lives as well. Ask good questions and listen to the answers your neighbors give. How long have you lived here? What's, what's been your experience so far? Do you have pets? Tell me about them. What's your favorite sports team? How did you begin cheering for them? What's your favorite local restaurant? How often do you get to go? Do you have kids? What are their personalities like? What do you like about this area and, and what would you change? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What kind of hobbies do you have? What's your favorite music or movie or TV show? What do you do for work? And what do you like most about your job? All these questions are on the app, so you can find those uh, after the sermon if you'd like. Finally, why don't you create a block directory? You know, as you get to know the people who live around you, make a simple map of the neighborhood, including everyone's name, home and cell numbers, email addresses, asking permission first, and then uh, put it out on a little sheet and uh, give copies to the people around you. That way you can be in touch as things come up. It'll be a wonderful way of helping others get to know each other in the neighborhood as well because there are amazing people with amazing stories all around you, but too often we don't take the time to get to know them. Now, these are just a few suggestions about how we can begin to build significant relations with our neighbors. We've been blessed by God, but it's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's so that we might be a blessing to others. So why not start with the people that God has given you right next door to where you live? There are all kinds of ways that we can begin to include our neighbors into our lives. But here's one final tip. We have to be willing to allow our neighbors to practice hospitality with us as well. Right? No one wants to be seen as a project. So we need to allow, others, uh, allow ourselves to be on the receiving end of others' acts of hospitality. And it, that requires humility and vulnerability, of course. Right? Many of us do a great job of helping others, but we're a little bit uh, uncomfortable with receiving help. So this will help us grow. Hospitality has to be a two-way street. So there you go. Uh, hopefully that's enough to, that, that something on there kind of got your hospitality juices flowing. Uh, it may seem a bit daunting and overwhelming, but it's okay. Start slow. The main thing is that we actually do something. Start somewhere. I'd love to hear stories next week. In fact, this is your homework assignment. Meet one of your neighbors that you don't know this week. And I may ask you when you come to church. And if you don't come to church, I will call you and ask you about it. If nothing else, just use the always rule, right? When you see somebody you don't know, stop and say hi. May we make the time necessary, set aside any fears we may have as we allow God to use us, our homes, and our neighborhoods to be opportunities for contagious grace. And the transforming kingdom of God can begin to take shape on earth. Amen.